In this next hour, we hear all about recycling in the city of Madison and Dane County. Our speakers are Paul Abramson, owner of Paolo Verde, a recycling consulting business in Madison. Steve Hanrahan is the Restore Director for Habitat for Humanity. And George Dreckman, longtime director of the City of Madison's Recycling Department, who is retiring in January 2016. The talk is titled, Recycling, an Urban Policy to Love. It was held on November 4, 2015, at the Capitol Lakes Retirement Center in Madison and sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. But first, we hear from League board member Kathy Johnson, who introduces the guest speakers. First speaker is Paul Abramson. He is the manager of, I'm going to say, Paola. (laughs) And he'll maybe change how that's pronounced. Consulting, specializing in zero waste planning for events, businesses, and individuals. Solving vexing recycling challenges is his main activity, working closely with the City of Madison Recycling Office, Madison Parks, event producers, and other groups. He brings 39 years of community relations, logistics, and business experience in broadcasting, education, facility management, marketing, and environmental education to clients throughout the Midwest. Paul has a background in coaching and volunteer development success with projects which have complex food waste handling and consumer waste awareness issues. He created this company to assist with recycling plan implementation, move individuals to sustainability initiatives, and boost community understanding of waste to energy and waste to agriculture outcomes. Welcome, Paul. Uh, I'm an individual who came out of a broad background uh, and took up recycling as my industry of choice about 15 years ago. So um, here's a statistic that NPR's John Hockenberry reminded me about on his program, The Takeaway. 40% of American food is unused. If this is the first time you've heard this figure, uh, perhaps you haven't been paying attention. Uh, We're not here to ask why, okay? I'm here to show you how to use that food, the food that's being wasted, and talk about recycling in general. Uh, The short version of everything I'm going to tell you tonight is this. If you want to help with recycling of food waste and recycling of the common products that you probably already recycle at home, if you want to get more people to do it out in public, The first step is contact the city recycling office to borrow these blue things, okay? You've probably seen these out around the city if you've gone to the farmer's market on the square or somewhere else for a party, a big party outside. These things are owned by the city. They're available to groups to borrow for free. Uh, I've got 20 of them that I keep over at the Wilmar Neighborhood Center parking lot. They are easy to use, and they say what they do. They take plastic bottles, aluminum cans, and beer cups, too. That's the first thing you do. You get one of these, or six of them. And 20 of them fit in a Prius, I can tell you that. 
Then the second thing is pair up this blue thing with a regular trash can. You always want to pair up the regular trash can with the blue thing. Even if you're not going for organics, which is what we've got this smart for right now, you still want to put them right next to each other. People want things that are easy. And, you know, when you're walking around with your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, you've got a hot dog in one hand and a tofu burger in the other hand and a soda in the other hand, you want to be able to say, bingo, very easy. The third thing you can do, if you really want to make a difference, is you want to make a sign that clearly explains what food waste is. Now that's kind of a joke because it's hard to make that sign. Uh, the fourth sign, the fourth thing to do is to put the sign on the third can. And you put the third can next to the other two, and you have a basic recycling away from home setup that's used all over the world basically to do this. I've been doing it in Madison for 15 years with George's help and the help of a lot of other people. You can do it too. Now, the ultimate solution to this is that this is a hands-on opportunity. This is not theoretical stuff. This means stick your, be willing to stick your hand in the trash can if you're wearing a glove to put the right thing you know, in the right place. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But you do want to tell the first person who comes along and says, huh? You want to say to Recycling plastic bottles and aluminum cans and beer cups. Would you put yours in here? And they'll go, wow, cool, we'll do it. Because most people will do the right thing if you give them direction. And so if I didn't tell you anything else tonight, that is trash talking 101, and it's a way to get people's attention to do the things that you think are right about recycling. I'm going to play for you a couple of video clips from a film that Downtown Dailies and my company, Palo Verde, are in the process of completing about public place recycling as it's done at a couple of events in Wisconsin. The first one you're going to see is uh, a big festival here in Madison. Uh, this one, I'm sorry, uh, this is at a festival which is in the New Central Park. I don't know if you've been over to this festival. People of all ages come to it. It's primarily dancing to Cajun and French world music, and it's called La Fête de Marquette. I was on the board of directors of the Wilmar Neighborhood Center for 10 years when we developed the festival, and this is a picture of me and trash talker volunteers setting up the recycling and composting system that we use there every year for the annual meeting party of the Willie Street Grocery Co-op. That party was the first big zero waste event production in the city of Madison. It's done for four and a half hours on opening night of La Fête de Marquette and it's a dinner party for about 5,000 people. And because the co-op is committed to organic food and, and closing the loop between urban food waste and agricultural organics, 
they were committed to taking on this project. They hired me to put it together for them. Now, allow me to introduce myself. Paolo Verdi. It's pronounced Paolo, P-A-O-L-O, Verdi, V-E-R-D-E. Verdi is green in both Spanish and Italian. And Paolo is spelled the way it is because my wife and I like the way the Italians spell it. Um, as a professional communicator, I've got a lot to learn. But someone many of you know, truly remarkable loon, the juggler, he suggests this for an icebreaker. Greetings, fellow earthlings. You may have heard him do that at the beginning of one of his shows, and I find it's a great segue to talking about closing that urban trash to rural agriculture loop. Um, if you pick up one of my cards later, it'll say that I do public place recycling and zero waste advocacy. Uh, my company, we're not a nonprofit organization, uh, is a one-person networking and recycling solutions company. I do this because I'm a strategic partner to George Dreckman's city recycling office, which is also a one-person shop. All of the wonderful things we have with recycling in Madison have been made possible by lots and lots of people. But George, uh, in my estimation, is responsible for a great deal of it, if not all of it, because he's an energetic guy and he has fun doing it. I'm one of those kinds of people too, and so two one-person shops raising awareness about recycling in Madison is more than we had 20 years ago. I'm not shy, obviously. I'm often too bold, but I want to work with you and anybody else and I'm also looking for your help. Uh, for example, this is right off the top of my head, and don't be you know, offended, but a $5,000 sponsorship would make the finished edits a lot easier for this film that we're working on. It's soon to be released video called Snapshot, How Some Wisconsin Events Take Out the Trash. Here's some more of it. It's not waste. Until it's wasted. So these food residuals that are on the plates here were grown in, in you know, beautiful, nutritious, organic soils that need to be fed. I mean, the soil is a living biosphere that is no different than us. It needs food, it needs water, it needs air. So uh, taking those food residuals, instead of burying them, entombing them, uh, for eons in a landfill, uh, bringing them to our compost facility where we use thousands of years old uh, recipe uh, called composting to take naturally occurring biology and we convert that back into soil food so that it grows fruits and vegetables for next year's conference. That fellow, Sandy Seberg, uh, operates what is probably this region's most well-developed uh, industrial compost organization. Uh, they're based in Oconomowoc and in uh, Verona, and you may have seen their products, Purple Cow Organics, at uh, the hardware store or 
the landscaping store. It's really great stuff, and I'm indebted to Sandy for also being a, a mentor to my interests. My first, my, my, I'm here today because you invited me, and I really appreciate it. When I'm invited to a gathering, I'm often asked uh, how to handle the recycling, or if I will handle the recycling. So instead, today, I, uh, I picked up a six-pack on the way, or actually a 12-pack, uh, for the party. I found this, all this stuff right here, the plastic bag and the box and the, I'm sorry, the beer tins are empty. Um, I found this in the parking lot at a truck stop around Mauston, Wisconsin, as I was driving from Minneapolis today. Now, this is, to me, an example of the phrase, everything we need to clean up the streets is in the streets, okay? Even if you didn't have anything special and you got out of your car, you could probably find the plastic bag right in the bushes, right next to where the other stuff is. And then all you have to do is take the bag and put these things in the bag, in the box, and if there's a recycling container like Wisconsin's had at DOT waste stations for as long as I can remember, you could put it there, or you could put it in your car and you know, bring it home and put it in your cart. This is recycling away from home. Step out of the car, see something, pick it up, put it in the right place. That's You're away from home and you're recycling. That's what that's all about. This is part of my daily routine. I mean, I go out somewhere every day, either for a walk or a drive or on my bicycle. I see some stuff. I get off my bike. I get off, get off the bike. It's kind of a bend over ex exercise. So you should like, okay, bend over, exercise, blood circulation, pick up some stuff, and then you can recycle all at the same time. Clubs, organizations, government, and businesses ask me to research solutions to recycling challenges. What do I do with this stuff? George answers phone calls like this eight hours a day, five days a week, plus he writes all the news releases about snow shoveling and snow plowing, and somehow he gets a lot of things done, and when he can't, I do. A couple years ago, Bev Spear and Robin Marone, Bev, a uh, longtime Sierra Club person, and Robin is the marketing director of Heartland Credit Union, they invited me to tell the Dane County Recycling and Solid Waste Committee about my company, Paolo Verde. Most in the group didn't know that a huge event recycling and zero waste project was being tested by Isthmus Wine and Cheese Festival 500 yards from their conference room. They didn't know that it was happening. But we started testing things like that. They hired me to help them figure it out. They wanted to do it, and now they do it routinely for all of their festivals. They have a zero-waste coordinator and a plan, and they use volunteers. So being a recycling nerd is, is being some sort of a control freak, I admit it. Uh, some of my projects are just ad hoc, spontaneous, uh, like the growing Madison Compost Network. Ever since I worked as, as a broadcaster, I've wanted my own network. And now I have one. 
Uh, Madison Compost Network asked Sustain Dane, the Four Lakes Sierra Club, and others to work hard this year lobbying to keep the organics pilot project funded by the Madison City Council after Mayor Soglin accidentally axed it in his budget. Uh, George will tell you much more about what's happening with that. And um, did you know that Germany's most experienced biodigester manufacturer has their North American office here in Madison? Did you know that? Well, Paolo Verdi told you that. So why do I do this? I do it because I can and because it's fun. Your topic, recycling, a public policy to love, uh, is something that you know I have learned to love. I, I had to learn it. I am not a dyed-in-the-wool environmentalist. I had to learn about it as an urban tree hugger. Uh, it's entirely about curiosity and communication. Uh, I'm not concerned about using multimedia here tonight because these other guys will have some. It is to clearly and directly communicate the recycling options that you have right here at this address and outside. Write them down. You'll get to ask your questions later. We are ahead of the game, farther ahead than many places, here in Dane County, Wisconsin, Earth. Thank you, my fellow Earthlings. Our second speaker is Steve Hanrahan. He is the Restore Director for Habitat for Humanity of Dane County. In this position, Steve is responsible for the operation of the two restores in Dane County. As a member of the Habitat Management Team, he leads the Restore group of 11 staff and over 150 volunteers. His responsibilities include operations, fiscal management, including P&L responsibility, budgets, and personnel. Steve's background and qualifications span multiple industries across a wide range of business sizes, including startup, public corporations, and not-for-profit. He has a proven track record developing business growth and strategic direction for industries as diverse as telecommunication and sports management. So, Steve, it's all yours. Thank you, Kathy. The restores in Dane County are pretty well known. I hope many of you know about them. But what I want to do tonight is just make sure we all understand what our role is. And I think if you bear with me through some of the non-recycling parts of it, you'll understand how important it is to us to be part of that effort here in Dane County and specifically in our two stores in Madison. What is the Habitat Restore? Well, we are a thrift store and we're fortunate enough in Dane County that we can concentrate on our building materials. So we do an awful lot of uh, uh, promoting of the fact that we have doors, windows, and things like that. We are open to the public. There are still people that think we're a private club of some sort. And we are not. The Habitat for Humanity restores are definitely open to the public. We're very, very fortunate to be staffed by a, a, 
I mean, over 150 volunteers work with us at our two stores and in our deconstruction service. So we're very volunteer uh, oriented. Some facts for you. There's 850 restores now in the United States. 15 years ago, there were very few of those. Awesome. <laughs> we have two stores here in Dane County. One uh, probably equidistant from here on Monona Drive and the other one is on Odana. Uh, the one on Monona Drive is brand new. It's about a year old actually, but we still consider it our new store. That original location on Cottage Grove Road was the first restore in Wisconsin. So we really kind of led the way in this area for this restore uh, initiative, if you will. So, so what do we do? I tell everybody, especially my staff, it's not rocket science. We accept donations of materials, we process them a little bit, and we resell the items at a reduced price to the discount prices to the public. Simple. All the proceeds from those sales go to the Habitat mission. I'm going to tell you a few facts here that are different than the rest of America when it comes to the restores. They did a market study. I'm only a year old as a Habitatter. I just celebrated my one-year anniversary two days ago. But I've learned an awful lot. We did a market study of our stores here in Madison about four years ago and found out that 60% of our customers shop at our restores because of the recycling initiative. In the rest of the country, it's 60% shop because of the Habitat mission, and they want to give back to the, the fact that we build homes in, in our areas of operation. But just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, we heard earlier how far advanced we are in this area, and this is really an indicator that that's absolutely true, no question. We talked about where Restore East is. You may, uh, if you're a long-time Madisonian, um, I was fortunate to move here in 1972 after graduating from high school in Minneapolis, and my parents lived on the west side, but I saw these little places all over town. They were Kohl's grocery stores, and we're fortunate to be in one. It's a perfect building for our kind of operation. Uh, high ceilings, a lot of light, some nice glass in the front gives us natural lighting. Uh, it used to be a Rubens Furniture store. Our other store is on the west side of town. It's in kind of a strip mall type uh, situation. We're hoping to expand that again. We expanded a little bit about a year and a half ago. Um, it, it's going to take a little bit because we have neighbors and they kind of like the space and they want to move and then we can't push them out, but if we get a chance we'll expand that. That store is three years old. And just last month had its second best month ever as a, as a restore. So it's doing very well on the, the west side of town. The neatest thing that I've learned as a director of the restores is that we never know what we're going to be selling. And I see the same people coming in the store every couple days. Not everybody, but some regulars. And you stop and talk to them and chat. And they just chuckle and say, yeah, well, we, we don't know what you went out and picked up yesterday. We don't even know what you might bring in this afternoon, so we have to stop in and find out. And that's exactly what we do. Our inventory changes every single day. We do have some staples, and we'll get into a little bit of that, but for the most part, the excitement is that stuff changes a lot. There are a lot of items people want to give us that we can't sell. 
And if we can't sell them, it becomes our problem. And so we have to kind of restrict what it is that we take in. We do take in appliances, uh, cabinets, doors, hardware, and windows. Those are our biggest categories of, of things that we sell. If you go to Baraboo or you go to maybe Toma or you go to Smoston, some of the other restores, you see a lot of clothing, you see a lot of kitchen dishes, you see a lot of small appliances. We don't handle any of that stuff. We have Goodwill, we have St. Vincent's, we have the Salvation Army. There's many other opportunities for folks to donate those types of items, and we do help them do that by making sure they understand that what we can't take, we'd like to help them uh, get rid of what, whatever it is. We pick up items. I was very, very surprised to find out that people don't understand that. But we have trucks that run around the county. Uh, if you call into our uh, donation line and tell us what you have, I have to admit, sometimes we don't believe that it's the nicest dresser that you've ever seen. <laughs> so we may ask you to send us a picture. Uh, please don't be offended, but if it is certainly something that, that we can put on our, our floor, we'd love to have it, and we will make arrangements to come out and get it, and it's usually within a few days. Um, some of our colleagues out in the, the restore world are, are out two to three weeks when then someone calls in to do a pickup. Uh, we try not to do that, so we're staying on top of it and can get there quickly. One of the areas that we've been working with George on, and I heard George's name for the last year, at least once a month, I've never met him, is our deconstruction service. We've worked hand-in-hand -hand with Madison, with buildings that are going to be demolished, where we go in and help that contractor, that owner, that representative, Recycle as much of the building as it possibly can be recycled to the point of tearing it down. We don't actually do that part of it. But we'll go in and take the copper piping out. We'll go in and take out the doors. We'll take out the windows, take out the flooring if it's in there. We do bring that stuff back to the restore if it's items that we can sell in the store. If not, it's recycled before we get it to the store or it's recycled after we get it at the store. But we do follow through with our commitment to the, uh, the partnership between the city, their deconstruction and demo requirements, and the, and the recycling. I think everyone knows that if you donate items to the, the resource, they are tax deductible. Just got to throw that in there a little bit. Um, we are the doers in the recycle business. We have... 150 volunteers that come in every day and they're committed to our mission. I'm going to get into a little bit of the mission as it has to do with Habitat, but they all know that our goal is to first move as much product out onto the sales floor as we can so we can reuse that in the community. But secondly, is to not throw anything away if we can help it. And you need to understand that sometimes that's impossible where we take a donation, it's not something that's recyclable, and we do end up being the bad guy, and we have to put something in the landfill. We don't like doing it, but every now and then it, it has to be done. But since we've opened, we've kept 6,100 and some thousand tons out of the landfill. That's nothing compared to the whole city and their operation, but if you just think of our store, that's how much we've been able to do just in the city of Madison. So we're pretty proud of that fact, and um, as far as the whole Restore Nation goes, 
it's part of their initiative as well. So we have a lot of partners out there doing the same thing. What is the connection between Restore and Habitat? Well, we are Habitat. Um, it's important to understand that all the sales, the net sales, go directly to the benefit of the Habitat uh, of Dane County. We, with our volunteers, run a very, very slim staff. And so a lot of our work is done by volunteers. So our net would be very, uh, very enviable for anybody in the, the you know, retail business because we turn almost 40% of all sales right back to Dane County. That's after paying our rent, paying our heat and our electricity and our staff, you know, with the going rate and what we have to, to do. It's enough to finance four to five homes per year in our community. So if you think about that, people are donating their items to us. We, in a sense, are recycling them into the community, reusing those same items. And the funds that we generate just for the little bit of cleaning, positioning, and bringing customers into the store to find some good out of the item can build some real homes for people that need them. I just think it's a, a fantastic story, and that is our connection. Habitat, for those of you that don't know, I always throw this in because I learned this because I got caught in the trap of who started Habitat. Anybody want to take a guess? It was not Jimmy Carter. That's my guess and that's everybody's guess. He's our biggest sponsor, most famous, I should say. But no, Habitat was started by uh, um, a man named Fuller down in, in Georgia. But it's a nonprofit organization of global reach. We've built over a million homes uh, around the world. Uh, it was founded in 1976. Dane County Habitat was founded, I believe, it was somewhere around 87 or 88 in that time frame. It actually started south of Madison in the Brooklyn area and then became the uh, Dane County uh, Habitat. Um, our goal, obviously, is to provide adequate, adequate shelter for those that, that can't afford it. I'm going to get into that just a little bit of detail, so please bear with me. We do not give houses away. We build homes, which is more than a house. The house is the structure. The home is the advantages of having that house. Um, but homeowners have to meet our income guidelines. They're the same as some of the other programs you've heard about. The maximum is about 60% of the, the uh, median income in Dane County. Um, those that are awarded homes, and we have developments all over the county, and we try to match families with areas that they're interested in living and working, um, they have to put in between 325 and 350 hours of work on their house or somebody else's house in order to qualify. So it's truly not a giveaway from that sense. They make a down payment and they make monthly mortgage payments. How do we do it? It's not magic at all. We cap the amount they pay for their homes at 25% of their income, multiply that out by a 30-year mortgage. The amount that's left is carried as a silent mortgage by Habitat, so the people get to live in their homes relatively inexpensively for their whole lives if they want to. If it's sold, Habitat then gets their silent back. And there's no interest rate charged at all. So that's why it's inexpensive. Um, but it's not giveaway. How many thought that Habitat gave people homes? Anybody? They just won. That's great. I mean, we're, we're making progress. Um, 
as a nonprofit, it's running the stores. It's kind of awkward to talk about store profits, so we just talked about it as being our net, and that doesn't include that, obviously. All of our net is spent every single year building homes right here in Dayton County. I want to tell you a little bit about the mission so you'll understand that it's not just us in Dane County. This is a Habitat for Humanity uh, worldwide uh, initiative. But our vision uh, and mission at Restores is really simple. We support the vision of Habitat. That's what we're there for. That's our primary purpose, provide funds. To do that, we have to keep increasing the amount of revenue we take in. So it is a business. But the nice thing about it is the proceeds go to a, a great cause. We contribute to the mission of HFHI, which includes funding it, which is what we talked about, building the homes. Our secondary mission is to provide low-cost building materials to a market that is a little different than those that can afford to shop at Home Depot, maybe Menards and Lowe's. And I say that because we truly try to do that. And we do have low-cost building materials. But what I have found is it's really interesting. Everybody loves a deal. And there's so many handy people out there that they come into our store. And it's not a store that serves a lower-income group. It's available if that is something that somebody needs. Most of our customers come in and they're looking around going, wow, I, I need that. And I'll go home and make something great out of it. It's fantastic. But another part of our initiative is to be the steward of sustainable resources. It's part of the initial reason why Restores began. So it's not something that started here in Dane County. It started in, in Georgia. Actually, the first store was in Austin, Texas. There was a store up in Canada. And they started to help with the recycling, the sustainability issue. So that's really where we're, um, we're proud of that, that fact, and we're going to keep building on it as, as much as we can. So what can you do for us? I have to do a, at least a little bit of sales up here. You can donate. We love donations. Our business is driven by donations. It's not driven by the price of our product. It's not driven by how many hours we're open. It's not driven by how many stores we have. It's driven by how much people generously donate to us. Because if we get enough donations and process them through our little box of a store, and sell it, then we can build more homes here in Dane County. You can shop at our stores. That obviously helps us directly. I would invite you to visit one of our stores if you can and see what, uh, what we have. And, of course, if you're interested in volunteering, our stores, uh, we are just blessed in Dane County. In addition to the recycling initiative and how green we are here, we have one of the, the best pools for volunteers of anywhere. We are the envy of the the country and habitat as far as how many volunteers we have. Having said that, we're always looking for more. So if you're interested, please come out and help. Where do donations come from? If you're trying to think, well, I don't know if I have a, you know, anything I want to give you, well, think about if you know of any uh, remodeling jobs. Uh, if there's an estate liquidation, we're interested in that. Uh, relocation, consolidation, many people get rid of items as they're going to be moving, obviously. We get a lot of items from retailers that have discontinued product, and that means that it's new. So not everything in our store is, you know, slightly used. There's a lot of new product. 
And if there's any spring cleaning when you do that, we would love to have you think of us when you have a, a trunk load of stuff that you'd like to donate to charity. We have two convenient locations. They tell us that the best and most important thing is to make sure that it's easy to tell people when you're open. We're open Tuesday through Saturday, 9 to 5. Simple. Um, we also try to provide an exceptional value to the customers. I have little spats with our volunteers and staff constantly about this isn't priced high enough. We could get more for this. Well, we aren't an antique store. We are trying to move product through. So you're going to find some of the best deals you've ever seen in your life coming into our store. Think about the volunteers in this initiative that we're talking about. I'll paint a little picture for you. Many folks, as they get a little older, they're not working regularly anymore. They're, they need to find something to do. They come and they volunteer their time with Habitat. A lot of them like to build. You've all seen the pictures of the hard hats and the hammers and the uh, little aprons, and they go around and build some nice houses. Not everybody can do that. The weather can be a factor. Maybe some of the, the actual lifting is too much, or maybe you just don't like that kind of work. But we have people in need in the, in the restores, and they're in the back. They're there because they want to give something back to the community, but they're there also to commune with their, their new friends that they meet at the store. And while they're doing all that, they're also recycling, cleaning, and refurbishing, and providing others with an opportunity to maybe have something for less than they would have had to pay more somewhere else. I think if you put all that stuff together, we're kind of a, a partner of these initiatives. We certainly aren't the leader, but we're great at following, and hopefully we're doing a pretty good job of that. Thank you very, very much for having me out. I appreciate it. Kathy. on how we choose our topics. Last spring, that rumor came around that George was going to be retiring at the end of this year, and we said, we have to get him as a speaker before he's gone. And so therefore, here he is. Uh, he's a strategic initiatives coordinator for the city of Madison, Wisconsin, a position he's held since 1989. He oversees a program that serves over 75,000 households and diverts over 65% of its waste from the landfill. He has degrees in American history and secondary education from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Prior to joining the Streets Division, he worked as a budget analyst for the Wisconsin State Senate, specializing in national, natural resources and education. In 2004, he received the Christy Dixon Award as Wisconsin's Recycler of the Year. And in 2015, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Recycling Coalition. George Drakeman. Thank you. Um, it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, this is an organization, the League of Women Voters, that I have a great deal of respect for. Uh, I almost wish I was a member. Um, okay. Then I, 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 I'm retiring in January, so it's, it's, it's quite possible I might do some of that. Because uh, I'm not going to go away. I hope not. You know, one of the things I was asked for, one of the things you got in your package was uh, uh, some information from, about a gentleman, from a gentleman named John Tierney, 
who is much like, in our business, a cicada. He comes around every 10 years, the New York Times publishes what he writes, and it's pretty much just background noise that's based on nothing. Okay, He doesn't research. I mean, he said, there are people love to have landfills in their township. Excuse me? Excuse me? I don't think so. You know, now, um, and what's happened right now is there he's, he and a few other people are using the current low prices that we see for recyclable commodities uh, that uh, are being, are, they're rehashing a lot of old arguments because right now the prices we're receiving for our material are at the bottom end of a cycle. These cycles come and go, I've seen it. Realistically, if I were to look at the recycling job that I have, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not an environmentalist. I'm an international commodities broker. And so, because what we're doing is supplying feedstock to industry. A lot of it is used domestically. Most of the stuff we generate here in Madison is used domestically and in North, in North America. When I say domestically, I mean North America, because sometimes we'll go to Canada or Mexico with the material. But uh, a lot of it is shipped overseas. And the problem right now, there's a couple of things that have impacted this. You know, and I say this, this is one of my favorite lines. You know, you can have your own opinion, but you can't have your own facts. And, and Tierney likes to make up his own facts. So let's take a look at it a little bit. Um, we're at this low cycle, but we've had cycles before, and this is nowhere near the worst we've ever seen. It's still cheaper to recycle than it is to landfill in our community. And that's true in most communities, unless you live in places like Wyoming and Kansas and some of those places where there's no there there, where they can put a landfill and it's pretty cheap to operate, okay? We don't have that luxury. We're, we're dealing with a $50 a ton price, which is cheap compared to what they're going to pay in places like New York and San Francisco and Seattle, where they're putting trash on trains in some cases and, you know, sending it to the other side of the Sierra Nevada mountains to, in order to dispose it, or in Washington, D.C., where they're sending it by train down to West Virginia, um, you know, it's, it's not uh, uh, a situation. What's happening with landfill space that we do have is that it's further and further away from the sources of trash, and so that means the price goes up higher and higher. And in our particular section of the country, citing a new landfill really is a moral dilemma. And the reason it's a moral dilemma is the most environmentally sound places to put these landfills is on productive farmland. And we have some of the most productive farmland in the world. Now, economists and other people are going to argue that there's lots of reasons that people are starving. There's poor transportation, there's corrupt governments, and on and on. Yes, there is. But the fact of the matter is that we have people in this world who are starving. And here we have some of the most productive farmland in the world, and we're going to take it out of production in order to bury food that we won't eat anymore? No, that's, that's just wrong. Okay, so we have an obligation. And one of the things that's happened with recycling, the current landfill on its current footprint was supposed to, was opened in 1984 and was supposed to last eight and a half years. We are still on that same footprint. Now, we've sold land to the county that was within their footprint, within that footprint to do the first expansion. We've sold them some more land and they're using some of the other land they've had within that same footprint. And now, a landfill that was supposed to be closed in like 1993, I think is the way the math works out. We've got 30 years of capacity within that same spot because of all the recycling we've done. Okay, that is the biggest reason. 
It's because of all the recycling we've done. Okay? And so that means that this works. Okay? This, this really works. And another reason for that, and I have to tip my hat to the current staff, the, the engineers who are running the landfill now, uh, unlike the people who ran it a few years ago, the current staff is pretty creative. They came up with some great ideas to expand within the footprint. But back to the other thing about the state of recycling. Our export markets have been hurt for a couple of reasons. So what's happened is when stuff is being exported to China, it moves back from the West Coast back into the central part of the country where the markets are, and that drives down our prices because there's a bigger supply. And exports are hurt because China's economy is slowing down. Uh, no matter what they might tell you, their economy is slowing down. And there's a story in the New York Times today that they now turned out, surprise, we use 17% more coal than we said we did. And that amount of coal that they now say they use is more coal, the extra amount is, all, is more coal than they use in Germany in an entire year. So it's a lot of coal. And the, so the Chinese economy is slowing down. So that's cut off some of our export market. The dollar is strong. That hurts our export market. Anybody here for a weaker dollar? Uh, I didn't think so. Okay. And then we have low oil and natural gas prices. Those are the feed, that's the raw material for making plastic. And so plastic, virgin plastic is cheaper right now than it has been for a while. Now, the people on the, there are people from Waste Management, uh, their corporate giant leader, and Mr. Tierney claiming this says we don't, recycling plastic isn't worthwhile. It's ruining the economy of our recycling. Excuse me, it now costs me less to pick it up because oil prices are lower. I can live with lower revenue from my recycling of plastic because it's more than offset by what I'm saving in diesel. So the net is good. So... And the other thing that runs into this is that China now, because their economy is slowing down, is dumping steel and virgin PET in the United States. And so we're trying to get tariffs put in place for that. So those are some of the factors. That's why prices are low. This is a cycle. I'm sorry. I, I'm a wonk, you know, and I just get off on this stuff. So, you know, it, it, some of you, let your eyes glaze over and I'll get the message. Um, so recycling in Madison, these terrible economics, let's take a look at it. Trash collection, $159, basically 50 cents a ton. That's what it costs to pick it up from your house, drop it at our transfer station on Olin Avenue, put it in a semi, take it to the landfill, and pay the tipping fee. $94.68 per household per year. Large items, bulky goods, that's really expensive. And we, you know, picking it up every other week, is half of what we used to have. We used to pick it up every week. But every other week collection is still, it, it's a Cadillac, okay? If maybe it's not a Cadillac, it's a Lincoln, okay? That means it comes with, that means it comes with, uh, what's his name, Matthew McConaughey in the, in the driver's seat mumbling all sorts of things that you can't understand. Um, but anyway, $318 a ton, but the household cost is lower because we run it fairly efficient. The cost for your household is about 50 bucks. $49 a year to pick up your large items. Brush collection, now we're talking expensive. $446 a ton, but again, it's only $40.50 per household. Tonnage is lower, but your cost for your household isn't so bad. Leaves and yard waste, again, 103 a ton, 30.88 per household. And then we get to recycling. It's the cheapest of all these by per ton, 
$102.54 a ton. Pick it up and get it recycled and get the revenue back that we're getting right now from the sale of that material. We receive 80% of the revenue back from that material. Now, we pay a fee to get it sorted. In those months when the revenue, our 80% share, exceeds our sorting cost, we get a check. In those months when it doesn't, we have to pay out. Last month, we actually had to pay out for the first time since the recession. We paid $300.18. We can handle it. And then the drop-off sites, which also are places where we do a lot of additional recycling, are, again, a bargain at, at, per household. The cost per ton is a little higher, but, again, they work out pretty well. So our diversion, 65.1%. Let me qualify that by saying that's the waste stream that we control in the streets division. I do not know how much waste and recycling is collected from this facility. So I don't know. I don't control it. I can't tell you. I don't know how much waste has been, is being, and recycling has been at Oscar Meyer. I know in two years it will be zero, unfortunately. But right now, I don't know. So what's the percentage of recycling? What makes up the biggest chunk? Well, construction and demolition debris is 43% of that material that we recycle. That's huge. Now, that doesn't count what goes through habitat. And they work, they, as a requirement to get a demolition permit in Madison, you have to get in touch with habitat and get, let them come in and, and decide what kind of stuff can be reused and remove it. Unless you're going to reuse a lot of stuff yourself. There are a few demo permits that most of the reuse is done by the people who are tearing down the house, for example. They're going to reuse the cat, whatever. Um, leaves and yard waste is the next biggest thing at 20%. A lot of green stuff in our community. And then curbside recycling, the stuff we think of when we think about recycling, is really only 16%. It's the third largest total. It's about 19,800 tons a year. And then uh, brush, no, 19,800 tons a year is leaves and yard waste. 19,100 tons is curbside recycling. And then brush makes up 11% of the recycling. Now, I mentioned the landfill status. I think I covered this slide. The nice thing about this, as I said, landfills are getting further and further away from the source of trash. For us, it's a marvelous that it stays in the same location. We have a 16-mile round trip. When you're hauling trash by truck from San Francisco, they take everything out of that truck that isn't the driver. They only put in enough trash to get it down, a gas, to get it down there and back. All this so they can squeeze as much trash as possible into that trailer to lower their cost of hauling it to the landfill. It's a long way. We have a 16-mile round trip. It's great. Um, so where do we go from here? Uh, we call our five-year solid waste plan that is, runs from 2012 to 2017. Notice how it happens to fall post-retirement for a certain person. Uh, the road to zero waste. So we have apparently secured funding for our mattress and box spring recycling program. There's about between 10,000 and 12,000 units of that that goes into the landfill. And they're terrible in a landfill. They don't, you know, they're comfortable. They're not supposed to compress. They don't compress in the landfill. They'll float up inside the landfill. And they get wrapped around the compactors. So... They're not fun, and so we're going to work on that. But it costs more to recycle a mattress. You have to tear it apart by hand, basically. You can't, there's no equipment to do it. 
And the value of the material in there doesn't come close to covering the cost of tearing it apart by hand. So we pay $9 right now, and it's going to $15 next year. But um, we hope we can get it down to 10 in our negotiations. But we have secured funding, uh, at least as an amendment to the budget and Board of Estimates, to do it next year. Uh, there will be more construction and demolition recycling going on in Madison. Uh, Dane County built a transfer station. A transfer station is where you haul waste from that spot to a different location, to a landfill in another spot. They weren't sure if they were going to get the landfill expansion approved. And uh, so now they're converting the transfer station into a construction and demolition debris recycling facility. So we will see even more construction and debris recycling uh, in our community now that you can take it to the Dane County. Everything, every load of construction material now that's going to the Dane County landfill will go through that facility at the same price as if it went to the landfill. So that'll be a big boost. And there are other couple, there is a, a company, Royal Container, that's located in DeForest, which is on the opposite end of the metro area from the landfill, which is uh, near the Yehara Golf Course on Highway 12 and 18 on the road to Cambridge. And since hauling is one of the big costs of trash disposal, loads on the north side will usually go to DeForest for recycling, and then this, a lot of the other stuff will find its way to the Dane County landfill for their recycling program. More organics recycling. This is, um, uh, it's interesting, let's put it that way. Um, we are adding 2,000 households and 30 businesses to the program this year. We currently have 500 households and 30 businesses, small restaurants essentially, with the exception of American Families Corporate Headquarters, uh, involved in the program. We called it a pilot project. We are no longer calling it a pilot project. It is now our organics program. We are actually going to brand it with the words CORE, Community Organic Recycling Effort. And I hoped I'd have the logo here today, but I don't. It's being developed by a great advertising guy who's doing it for free. And so I couldn't tell him I had to have it today. <laughs> you know, he's doing it for free. You know, it's 20 grand worth of work for nothing. I can't put a lot of pressure on him on time. Um, I, as I understand it, there's going to be an amendment to the budget that would allow us to add another 25,000 households to the program. When, I'm, when I say organics, what I mean is really what we call source-separated organics, or SSO for those of you into terminology. It's food waste of any kind, not just what you can compost in your backyard. So we're talking fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy, spaghetti sauce, gravy, peanut oil, uh, coconut oil, any kind of oils and grease, all that stuff. We're also talking contaminated paper. By that I mean paper towels, paper plates, paper napkins, paper cups. Uh, and we're talking pizza boxes, okay? The whole pizza box, not just the clean part that you can tear off and put in your recycling right now. Because if we do this program the way we want to do it, we love grease. Grease is good. It's just like the way, and I don't mean the country that's going broke. And it's just like us, you know. We like stuff like that too. And so does, so does the process that we're going to use. Um, in theory, well, what we're doing is taking it to an anaerobic digester now in Middleton. Uh, we're taking it to that digester. And when this organic material goes into a landfill, it generates huge amounts of methane. 
While the Dane County landfill captures methane, 70% of the methane generated in the landfills escapes into the environment, where it is far worse for, as a greenhouse gas than the stuff that comes out of a coal-fired power plant or the tailpipe of your car. Even if it's a Volkswagen with a bad computer, it's still worse than what comes out of your car. In the long term, they say it's 23 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than CO2. There are studies that indicate over a short-term period of five to eight years, it's 80 times more potent as a greenhouse gas. It does more short-term damage than long-term. So it's a real, and, and landfills are the most, the biggest human source of methane. So this is where it comes from. And so if we get it out of the landfill, we put it in a digester, we're going to get lots of methane, but we're going to capture the methane. And then we can use that methane to run generators to make electricity. We can clean it up and turn it into a compressed natural gas and use it as a vehicle fuel and replace a diesel. So that's why we're looking at doing it this way, and that's why we are pursuing uh, I think we're not going to build our own digester right now. There's a long story. I'll save it for you. Um, but you're also getting valuable organic material to revive the soil because we're killing our soil. And that's another 45-minute discussion that I won't get into today, but uh, it has a lot to do with it. And funny how the, the things we're doing to kill the soil uh, – tend to translate into the things that are killing our lakes. But, of course, there are sacred cows. Um, some other steps. These are some things that are new to the recycling program that you may or may not know about. Cardboard-sided cans, those things that peanuts come in, or Pringles, that's my, one of my uh, guilty pleasures. And you, you see those out there. We can take those. They've got a metal bottom. We can, get that, we can get the whole can recycled. If in the case of Pringles, you take the plastic top off and put it in. Okay. Milk cartons, cardboard paper milk cartons, and what we call aseptic packages, juice boxes. We see it now for soup, soy milk, almond milk. We can take those, we can recycle those. Put them in your cart. Empty paint cans, put those in your cart. Aerosol cans, too. People, you can't recycle an empty aerosol can. Yes, we can. Okay, put it in there. Trust me. Leave the caps in your plastic bottles. I spent my first 20 years of my career telling you to take the caps off. Now on the way out the door, I'm telling you to leave the caps on. Okay? Leave them on. The plastic on the caps does get recycled. It's a long story. I'll save it. We've just added bubble wrap back with our plastic bags. We can do bubble wrap, plastic bags, plastic film. The key thing with those, put them inside a plastic bag, Tie the bag shut. The bag should be about the size of a basketball, okay? Metal bottle caps. So all of us wonderful uh, craft beer drinkers, we can take those metal bottle caps, put them inside a soup can, crimp the top of the soup can shut, put that can full of bottle caps into your recycling. And 13% of the stuff that's in the trash that we control in Madison, 5,418 tons is recyclable under the current program, either because it doesn't, it gets missorted, and it's odd when the, when the missorting is done. The missorting is always either done by children or spouses. 
It's never the person on the phone. I told him, or I told her. You know, that's, that's part of my job is, is settling domestic disputes. Um, what else can you do? Well, tell the mayor and the city council you support a citywide organics program. There are ways we could do this. Um, and when I'm off camera, I'll probably tell you a little more. Um, check out Waste Watchers on our webpage. It's a program we have, cityofmadison.com slash streets. Uh, waste Watchers is a program that gives you tips on what you can do to reduce the amount of waste you generate. I have a program on there where I talk about how you, what you can do to lose a pound a week, you know, of trash in this case. As you can tell, none of us up here have really been successful at losing a pound a week. But you can lose a pound a week of trash. A lot easier you can lose a pound a week. Um, compost at home if you don't do it now, if you can. Use the Madison Stuff Exchange, okay? This is kind of a takeoff on the ReStore idea. This is an online place where people can go. Now, if you've got, you got cabinets, you've got construction material, things like that, give it to the ReStore, please. But if you have things that you want to get rid of, that some of it you want to give away, some of it you say, well, this is too good to throw away, and I don't want to give it away, I want to sell it, but you don't have enough stuff for a rummage sale. Or like me, it's like, organize a rummage sale? I can't even organize my closet. So you want to sell it, and you're going to sell it for less than $99. That's our limit. Because we figure if, you're, if it's worth more than 100 bucks, you're probably going to not throw it away. Okay? So go to the Madison Stuff Exchange and list it there, or look for stuff. It's free for anybody that lives or works in Dane County, and it's madisonstuffexchange.com. Uh, as I said, I'm retiring, and Brian Johnson is going to be our new uh, recycling coordinator. Brian is a great guy. He's worked for the Streets Division for several years, and part of my job is public information officer as well. And he knows all that stuff, plus knowing recycling, and he's learning more and more. He looked at a PowerPoint I did on markets, and he goes, I don't know any of that stuff. I said, don't worry, it took me 20 years. You'll get there. So that's that, and that's me, and uh, thank you. Now, the audience discussion. The first question asks about garden waste. Yes, it gets, it gets composted. We take it to, uh, uh, right now it's going to a commercial firm called Circle B. They're out in DeForest, and they uh, compost that material. And then most of it actually is used in landscaping and, and, and that kind of stuff and construction projects. Um, oddly enough, um, we haven't been real successful, I think, in moving some stuff into the uh, uh, agricultural market. And um, I'm not exactly sure why. I know some of it, there is material out there. Purple Cow, for example, has stuff that's certified for use in organic farms. And so uh, they're able to move it into that area. But uh, And community gardens use a lot of it, too. Uh, so that's, you know, where we end up taking it. I found the discussion about Restore very interesting. And I'd like to know how it got started at Dane County. I wasn't around exactly when it got started, but I know it was uh, the result of uh, a number of individuals with a, a passion for um, for that, for the thrift and the recycling initiative, um, uh, the former director Jen was very instrumental in getting things off the ground. Did a great job entrepreneurially getting things 
going, and uh, you know, the basically it's grown from there, from that to two stores and and beyond. Yeah, Jen Wojcik was the person. She did. She she was involved in construction, as I understand it, and she was like, you know, constantly amazed at how much stuff was getting thrown away, and it turned out then to be a natural fit uh, with Habitat because of that restore model, which is which is just a. Uh, you know, the thing about that, that that's important, too, from our perspective is that uh, it's as, uh, as a uh, uh, reuse of this material. It's even better than recycling it because it's ta- you're using this stuff again. And one of the things that we forget about when we waste something is that are we not only throwing away the material, recycling, we recover the material, but we're also wasting the labor and the energy and everything that went into it. And a lot of the things in the building trades, there's a lot of labor that goes into that. And by recovering this and putting it to use again, you're, you're, you're in a way salvaging that labor, and you're also then preventing the need to cut down a tree to make a new cabinet, and that's, like, priceless. I forgot to mention our urban wood initiative as well. We're, uh, we're a partner with Wisconsin Urban Wood, and that's helping keep the, uh, the trees from the landfill, especially with our little ash borer that's coming. So there's going to be thousands of trees that we'll be selling, sawing, milling, and selling the wood in the restores. This question is for George. I, I know it might be a quick. People will set some things up to the curb after trash day that, that they don't want, but that they think neighbors might like. People have told me that they're against some city ordinance. Is that true? Yes. But we would generally turn a blind eye to that sort of thing. But what is galling to me is that we have this new generation in the last few years, about in the last five years. Five years ago, scrap metal prices were extremely high. And there are people who go through town picking up metal items that are put out at the curb. Uh, I don't like it because it costs the city now not so much, but the last time I did numbers, we're losing one hundred dollars to $150,000 a year in revenue from that material. But the thing that really galls me about it is that they're taking things like air conditioners, refrigerators that have refrigerants in them that have to be removed. And what they do is they get away with just cutting the line and vacating the Freon into the atmosphere, which is what we didn't want to have happen. And... Then they get to go to the scrapyard, and they say they can sign a paper that said we illegally vacated the Freon from this appliance, and the scrapyard takes it. It's like going into a pawn shop and signing a paper that said, yeah, I, I stole this diamond ring from somebody's house, but I get to sell it now. And it's the same sort of thing. And the scrapyards say, well, we're just doing business with people, and I'm just telling them that they know what they're doing. They're fencing. But, you know, uh, they try to catch some people, but they... You know, I mean, somebody comes in with a, with a truckload full of aluminum bleachers. You think they really didn't take that from someplace? So, you know, that, that's that that's a problem with it. That's the part that get. But if you put an end table out there, great. We even see people on the stuff exchange saying, free dresser, it's at the curb, come and get it before collection day on Thursday. And that's fine. We're not going to we're not going to uh, deal with that. It's the people who are stealing the stuff that we get money for. I, I don't understand why I cannot put books in my recycle bin. It seems like they're a form of paper. The problem with books is the binding. 
Now, a phone book you can put in your recycling because that has a water-soluble binding. So when it goes to the paper mill, the pulp will break open the binding and the paper is exposed and we can take it. The industry changed that under a great deal of pressure 15, 20 years ago. But books are designed to not come apart. And even in a paperback book, that's not a water-soluble binding. So what has to happen is the binding has to be cut off before the paper in it can be recycled. And the stuff we handle, the way our system was built, it's just not designed to handle those things, and they're also heavy. You can take it to the Madison Recycling Center, this private company on Fish Hatchery Road, and they keep a special grade off to the side, and they move books. They pick up books from lawyers and things like that. So there is a market for it, but it's a specialized market, and we are not able to process that stuff through our system because it just you know we just don't have the time. Well, the equipment doesn't do very well with it, and it also takes a long time for us to accumulate enough to move it, and we don't have a place to store it. I'm going to add another note about books. Uh, as many of you are aware, uh, uh, there is a very popular little uh, item in front of many houses around uh, the country, as, which started in Wisconsin, called the Little Free Libraries. And... Uh, I myself uh, pick up boxes full of books off the curb, uh, put them in my garage until my little free library uh, needs replenishing, and uh, that's where that's a big source of books for little free libraries. So uh, if you don't have the transportation option, you can call Paula Verde. I'll pick them up from you, and we'll get them into some little free libraries. You asked for it. I have two questions. Um, the first is on the top of the book. So my husband is one who people say, throw it in the recycling, they'll sort it out if it's not recycling. So he would, you know, if we did want to get rid of books, he'd say, oh, it seems like it'll be recycling, throw it in there. Is that a problem or not? <laughs> Aspirational recyclers are a pain in the katukas. Um yeah, that is a problem. And there are people who think it'll get recycled or, you know, and, and that that's okay. Or there are also people who say, I'm going to send those blankety blanks a message about their unrecyclable container. You want to send them a message, mail it back to the name on the carton. Don't give it to us. It costs us a lot more to run it through the recycling center and then have it go to the landfill than it does if it went directly to the landfill. So we've all, I've had the saying I've used since I first took this job, when in doubt, throw it out. You can call me. We have something for those of you who are into this. We have a My Waste app that you can download for free, and we're updating it right now. We know it kind of fell behind. We're getting some things updated, and we have a new index coming for our web page. Our, our web page is the first one to get the new city facelift. And we're working on a disposal index that should answer a lot of those questions real simply. So before you put it in, ask. Because there is, from us, again, there's no such thing as a dumb question about where something goes. And, yeah, aspirational recyclers are... Uh, <laughs> George, is this uh, database a, uh, succ uh, succeeding or uh, uh, replacing the recyclopedia? Uh, yeah, the recyclopedia has gone the way of... Uh, Lots of budget cuts. We just don't, you know, I, 
I used to have a $165,000 public education budget. My public education budget has been cut to $25,000, and that's for everything the streets division does. And internally, we were forced to make decisions between do I tell people what to put in the cart or do I lose a truck? So, you know, we, we just have to take our chances. And it's unfortunate that we're put in these situations. And again, I'm not going to say what I think in front of a camera. But I can. Uh, because I'm just a public citizen and an entrepreneur, uh, if you have uh, strong feelings or even mildly strong feelings about the way the city budget is arranged uh, and uh, funding from uh, recycling uh, uh, fund of the DNR, if you'd like to see those things restored, you could be hammering on it every single day by calling your state representatives and calling the mayor and calling your council people and letting them know that the, serv the high services of Madison have been depleted for a variety of reasons and you want them back. That's a message I can endorse. I was going to take shots at some other agencies where money's wasted. But I'm not going to do that because they'll take shots at me too. So it's, you know, that's why we don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> If I had my spreadsheet in front of me, yes. Um, our first area is on the near west side, um, Minot Parkway, um, uh, what are some of the streets, uh, Manitowoc Parkway, uh, kind of in there. It's, about, it's a trash. See, we do it by trash route because we have to figure out, we have to be able to pick it up in a day with one truck and one person, so we take a trash route. It's already routed, no extra work. This group is not going to get to volunteer. This group is being told, look, you're going to do this. Obviously, I can't force them. But we want somebody to represent the average person in Madison. That's what I'm telling them. Because I figure 50% of the people in this, in this neighborhood have been waiting for this to come. 25% think that I'm Satan and they should, and they'll never do it. It's just that, and then the other 25% are like not sure. And those are the people I want to talk to. Those are the people I want to survey. That's the information that's going to be important for us in doing this citywide. What do they think? Of course, it's kind of disingenuous because I'm asking them to do it for, to give it a three-month trial, and we're going to roll it out in the first week of December, and they won't have any maggot issues during the trial. Maggots aren't out there, you know. So, so there's, but it's timing. It's not about trying to slip it past people. I'll be honest about it. In my in my meetings. I have a question. If you can approach it this evening, but I was wondering about cooperation with the other uh, municipalities around the city of Madison. But I'm not sure that they are as forward in their uh, being being able to recycle as you are. I know they are arrived. Well, there are staff that's interested in it. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a problem, there's a logistical problem. Except for the town of Madison, the city of Madison is the only community that collects its own trash with municipal employees and municipal equipment. It's privatized in these other communities. And so there are, now, like I can say, if I put 15,000 tons into an organics program, I can transfer the money that I would have spent to landfill those 15,000 tons in to help offset the cost of the organics program. But a private hauler is going to have to charge you for that extra truck. You know, I mean, it's still going to cost money to do this. These are services. They cost money. Okay. But um, 
I think what, what would happen, what, what could happen in these communities is they could launch some kind of a subscription program. And we may end up looking at something like that to get things going in the interim where people would pay a certain amount to uh, get their organics collected. And then as the, from our case, as the more people would be involved, the price would come down. But um, that may be something that will be on the table, uh, something like a $60 a year charge to start um, to get people involved in the, uh, in the program. Uh, but I don't know what, you know, that's one of the potential proposals and amendments that might be coming, and I'm not, I only provide information on the costs. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of taking care of the funding. Um, and I think, though, that there would be, I've talked, you know, in my conversation, certainly with Pelletieri, uh, who's a large, the large independent hauler in our area and has a number of communities, that they would be open to the possibilities of a subscription program, assuming enough people subscribe to make it worthwhile to send the truck out to Middleton or Fitchburg or whatever it is to pick that material up. That would be the, uh, the catch on that. Uh, my husband and I have a lot of recycling, but we have very little trash. And I probably put our trash in maybe once a month. Mm -hmm. I don't mind a stinky garage. Right. Um, well, you want to be in the organics program then. Well, and I yeah, don't know yeah. the rest okay, of the yeah. stuff anyway. But right. well, what I want is a small trash can. <laughs> and I know you won't give them out, and I know why, but I want to just think this appeal to you. <laughs> Yeah, and you got the reason, so you know. Uh, they, it's just, but what I would say is we didn't want to offer those small trash cans in the beginning when we rolled out the trash program because of the problems we have with them for recycling, when, because we did recycling first with the automated program. And what the, pro, the biggest problem is that they fall into the truck. That, that's a, they slip out, and you know, because when you try to set your, the, the, the grabber arm, it has to be able to pick up the big one, and it has to be able to pick up the small one, and that's kind of delicate, right? And so if you were to set it just to strictly pick up the small one, it would crush the big one, right? So we lose some small ones. And the other thing is that, if, that the, a lot of elderly people say, well, I want the 35-gallon card, and I'm telling them that the bigger 65-gallon card is actually better because it's more stable when you roll it out to the curb. It's more like a walker, whereas these small carts, you know, where the small carts are, are too tall and very narrow. They're like a Jeep, the old Jeeps that used to tip over all the time. So that's, that's one of so the, the 65 gallon cart, while it's bigger, is more stable. So it's easier to get out to the curb that way. Uh, but yeah, and you know, we, we couldn't be persuaded, I don't think, by too much public feedback, but there are people who are persuaded by public feedback. And we work for them. So Chris Kelly, don't watch this. That's my boss. I think we're going to cut off questions here. If you I'll, I'll stick around, yeah. We're already past the time we sort of told our speakers we would be done. But I want to thank them, and I thank all of you. You've been listening to Recycling, an Urban Policy to Love, sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County.
It was held on November 4, 2015, at the Capital Lakes Retirement Center in Madison. The speakers were Paul Abramson, owner of Palo Verde, a recycling consulting business, Steve Hanrahan, Restore Director for the Habitat for Humanity, and George Dreckman, Director of the City of Madison's Recycling Department, who is retiring in January 2016. To find out what else the league is up to, go to their website at lwvdanecounty.org. The views expressed here are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Permission to rebroadcast this podcast is granted if credit is given to the League of Women Voters of Dane County and editing does not alter the speaker's meaning. This talk was produced by Minds Eye Audio in Madison.